0: This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day.
1: All right, welcome back to an episode of Manifest Mindset. We're here, Nick and Bob, on a late Friday night. Um, how are you doing, Nick?
0: I'm good, Bob. Um, you know, uh, for anybody out there there's no mystery, I am absolutely the holdup. Getting out of work on Friday is, on West Coast time, is not always conducive to the East, but Bob is the to about it. And our schedules are pretty damn crazy, so working out okay.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm glad either every two weeks or every so often to hop on a call with you next just to get a recording, just to get it going. Uh, yeah, fired up. So how was uh, how's the last – I think the, we spoke two or three weeks ago. That was our last podcast. How have you been since – Yeah, I've been good, Bob. Um, I think, yeah, it was two weeks ago now. It was
0: just after we – when we spoke, I was just getting ready to make my big move, uh, moving apartments and everything. That was occupying a good amount of my time and focus. Uh, Then, you know, just continuing to work in a fellowship with my mentors and everything, and it's been good. So I had the apartment move that was exciting, still kind of a a long way to go to get unpacked and all that fun stuff. But in a new place, so then – this last Tuesday had my last day of mentoring with one of the mentors I'm working under. And it's just been an absolute privilege. So I'm, I'm tired. at the end of a long week, a long couple of weeks. And I'm really good.
1: Wow. Yeah. So Did you get your uh, backyard, your private backyard?
0: I do. I got the backyard. Um, it's a small one, but a nice one. actually I started doing some workouts back there. So that's been a ton of fun for me.
1: Nice. Nice. So you said, um, Today was your last day for your one on one mentoring for your residency? Or is it uh, no, that so it was the last day of
0: mentoring with um one of my very particular mentors. We have multiple mentors that will cycle like, through and everything. But for this individual one for my first mentor of fellowship, that was the last day with him.
1: Okay. Wow. That that's exciting that you got to go through so many mentors. And and I'm assuming they're they're all uh fellow and uh in orthopedic medicine and OCS?
0: Uh, oh, yeah, and, like, above and beyond. And, like, that that stuff doesn't even, like, begin to compare to some of it. I mean, these are people who have studied from the best of the best, and they're, in my, in my opinion, some of the absolute best who are still practicing out there. So, um, in my mind, you know, those qualifications are, are pretty low. So yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So, your first mentor, I'm curious, Nick, do you have any uh, pearls? So, anything that you learned from this mentor specifically?
0: Absolutely. So, for y'all you know, listening out there, um, learning from the master Dennis Dempsey. Um, this guy learned under Maitland back in the day for a six-year intensive period.
1: Oh wow! And,
0: yeah. So he, he's a cool dude. Um, you know, he's practicing for a little bit. Um, went up to Vallejo and did a bunch of neuro and TMS type stuff. And then decided, hey, you know what? Let me just be as good as I can possibly be. I went to Australia for about five or six years, learned under Maitland himself for a while at a similar time that David Butler and some others were going through that program. And yeah, so this will be the context. As far as things I learned, things I picked up from him, new things for myself, just dig deep, man, just dig freaking deep. And there's a whole process that we, put ourselves through, put our patients through. And it's important to remember your purpose for why you're there, right? And the purpose is to really deeply help these people, help these patients, not just for this immediate part about what feels good now, not just for what they think they're seeking, but dig deep into the motivation, the reason for what is their main problem and by understanding their main problem, really reassess that every single time they come in. And so they might say, hey, visit one, right, by the eval. Something is like, hey, my concern is, hey, I can't sleep because of my shoulder. It's painful, all this other stuff. And in the past, I've made the assumption that, okay, just because they, I'll recheck with them, still work through what they're working through. Oh, like they still have pain with sleeping on their shoulder. And I made the assumption, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's probably still the main concern, right? All of a sudden, they got something going on with their kid they got to deal with or something going on with like their weekend warrior stuff. And that's the bigger deal for them. And so always reassessing in accordance with the patient and having a deeply collaborative approach so that not only that confrontation is not bad, that confrontation is neutral. Confrontation is actually good. And to really embrace having meaningful, important confrontation with the patient and be willing to ask really difficult questions and be persistent about it.
1: So confrontation with, um, I guess, what's mainly on their mind? What do you mean by that, Nick?
0: Yeah. Um, so confrontation in terms of patients will come in with their ideas, their expectations on a very superficial level, like, oh, yeah, like I want to, um, like, I want physical therapy to do this or that or the other thing for me. And, you know, obviously there are, you know, all certain things that we, we do everything, right? And the same sense of it boiled down. There's not a lot that we do and it does help immensely, But confrontation in terms of, okay, we're interviewing a patient, we're trying to understand them, and we're doing that for a reason. Yes, we want them to feel like they're being heard and understood, but there's information that we need to gather in order to best help them. And it's not okay if we don't get that. So if they're, you know, talking about whatever they want to talk about and kind of going on and on, it's not helpful. And we need to sit them down, slow them down, and really – in a respectful way, in a caring way, but we need to be the ones to redirect them or they're having, you know, very poor self-thoughts about themselves and their, you know, current pain situation and relationship and there with their body in this world and everything or some of the carnicity or, oh, this is like my bad leg, my injured leg, all this kind of poor self-talk, right? We need to be the ones to confront them on us, to help them understand why that's detrimental, why that's a, a bad thing, if you will, um, and to really make an important, lasting change in that. And in some ways, right, it's our job can't just be let me get you out of pain or let me get you better function. It has to be what's the larger part of the journey in your life right now? What do you really care about and going after? And how can we together collaborate to obliterate the obstacles ahead of us?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like setting that expectation that – also, like I guess, a, a pain science component of, like, oh, your your heart hurt doesn't equal harm, but also, at the same time, what's your end goal and how can we get there together? Does that sound right, Nick, if I yeah, to summarize I was, that? that? That definitely touches on it pretty well, Bob.
0: Huh, that's interesting. I mean, just like we're, you know, persistent and a lot of these other things and categories that will have patients, you know, do or press um, – kind of intellectually, if you will, right, with these questionings and being confrontational. The same thing about our examination, right, is that we don't want any false negatives. We don't want to, you know, not push as hard as we need to. We need to get through what we get through. And sometimes we worry excessively about a patient's comfort or their perception of comfort when really that's not what they're motivated by. They're motivated by the fact that they want to get better. They just think they care about the comfort more than they actually might and not knowing what the pain means or interpreting it.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. So, so, like, the main takeaway is uh, not being afraid to, one, make the patient a little bit uncomfortable by asking them more thought-provoking questions. Um, and that's that, That's a great – I like that pearl a lot, Now, in terms of uh, new things you've got, I think that's pretty cool. Anything that you've seen that you've seen – i guess a lot of clinicians doing like a lot of like a similar string of actions that your mentors all do because it seems like you've been paired with many different mentors so far um do you have something that they do or that you see that they do um that's just like a repetition or like a reminder of oh that's what i should be doing every time i see a patient is it like checking baselines every single time or is it something as as is greeting the patient in a specific way?
0: Yeah, well, these days they're wearing a mask every time. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> That's the key. That's the key, Nick. <laughs> yeah, dude, exactly. Um, so I'd say, I mean, the, the answer is yes, right? There are a lot of things that are involved in this, but I think the big thing are like, If you go for, I don't love the idea of checklist, but if you go for a checklist of kind of, you know, what must you have on, you know, patients, you know, next time they come to see you, right? You have an initial evaluation or a first follow-up visit with them. They come in for that first or second follow-up appointment with you, right? The first thing is like, hey, checking in with them, like, how were things after you left you last time, right? And and have you ever asked a, a patient that question, Bob?
1: how are things after you asked last? Yeah. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, of course you have. Right. And like, what are typical responses you'll get from them?
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah. Right. And
0: and leave it at that. Or they, they say that, okay, good, general, whatever. Right. And that's when you'll press more. Or it's like they go on and on and on about like, you know, Oh, like here and this, and then I had like pain on this day and everything. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, you're respectfully in your mind, like, what are you actually talking about right now? Um, and you're like, and like getting very comfortable, just pumping the brakes saying, Hey, I either hey, something like, I understand that we'll, we'll get to that. But it's help me understand this here for a second. So you, when well, we did this last time, you left here. What did you feel immediately after that? Right. Okay. You felt that you got in the car, then you went home in this, right? So getting a good picture of, you know, what was the true effect of last time's treatment? before they introduce too much chaos back into their lives again. And, you know, what's the last 24 to 48 hours after that appointment and what that looks like for them? And really getting that baseline. But then always, always, always re-clarifying the body chart. As much as you assume that it's similar or same or whatever, and not just on one area, but, you know, this is easy on patients where they have one or two pain areas or symptom areas. Patients with like, you know, the P1 to P5 or 6 with tons of different symptoms, it's like, hey, you can't make any assumptions. And just because the patient tells you, like, you ask, like, how, how's the leg? And they say same, dude, half the time it's not the same, right? It's like there's differences that they're not actively paying attention to. Because their brain is clouded because they're in a lot of pain. And, or for whatever reason, they're not as attentive to that. And so it's yeah. up to us to always make sure that we have a good understanding of what's actually going on.
1: And just for uh, those people that are listening um, that aren't really familiar with Maitland, so P1 to P5, or or just P1 in general, that's pain location?
0: Yes, correct. Yep. So pain location and then also getting into, like, description of the pain and the quality, consistency, and all
1: that good stuff. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's exciting. Yeah, thanks for sharing uh, those pearls. So it seems like really getting to, uh, one, getting those baselines Setting them correctly, uh, especially the body chart every time they come in, making sure that the patient understands. Okay, this is where I'm at today, that, um, and where I was previously, kind of thing. Is that correct?
0: Yes, absolutely. And you know, when you when I take a step back to all this and think about it, really, it, it really comes down to okay, what's my intent for this patient interaction? Not just like superficial, like gaining a couple pieces of information, but like the true intent of okay find out where this patient is at in their journey, right? Where is their headspace at? And and th- and that goes to reevaluating that every single visit. And how can I best help them with, within their current state of mind? And sometimes, you know, I didn't always do the best job, but I can still improve on this about every single fall-up appointment coming in. Really get a good assessment about, okay, it doesn't matter where I'm thinking about it, right? This matters for this patient who's coming in today, which this same patient could be very different than they were last week. What's going on in their head right now, right? What did they come into this appointment with thinking, feeling, understanding? And, you know, I think of a, you know, a kid I was treating recently, right. Where he, um, you know, had an eval with me really good. He was really happy and everything. He was like, wow, you like, this is awesome. I'm loving this. The first follow-up, like crushing it good and everything. He came back to the second follow-up and like, yeah, he just didn't have a little more down, didn't have quite that same pump up and everything, like a little something going on. And, you know, really, really pressing into understanding, dude, like what's going on? And like, be willing to make them uncomfortable a little bit in your questions. You can preface it with like, hey, dude, I'm a- I'm asking this because I care and we want to understand this, that, and the other thing. And it turns out that he, I'm going to use the words, misinterpreted what I said. Um, He was asking about, you know, he had this upcoming trip going on, and he's really concerned. He's like, hey, am I going to be able to get better by this timeline, right? He wants to know his prognosis better. And the message that I told him, that I conveyed to him was, you know, if you follow this program, if you follow this program through the work you do at home, follow this exactly to a T, you're absolutely going to get there, right? No problem working hard. On the other hand, it doesn't matter how much we do here in clinic, if you don't do anything at home and don't follow this program, you might not be able to, you know, get there in time. And, of course, he heard too much at the last part. He's hard on himself. He's an intense dude. He got pretty down about that. He's like, he got to a place of feeling like less hope than he normally had. And so I had to dig deeper to understand that context for him before I decided to move forward and, you know, treatment looked probably superficially similar that day as far as, okay, what are the biggest physical impairments, the goals, the strategy to work on, but the subtleties and the nuances of the execution were very different and needed to be molded. It's not about what I want to convey or what I should convey, right? And as much as people might say, yeah, he misunderstood you, it's still on me. It's still my lack of communication and lack of reassuring is processing of that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I was taking, today I was taking a Con Ed course um, and and... They were talking about how uh patients you can't treat patients that don't want uh that don't want your help kind of thing right if if they or or if i guess i I'm really tripping over my horse today but um if if uh yeah if if they don't want like, your help you can't help them. Right. If they're, uh, if you're all focused on, okay, what are what are the mechanics? What what are ha- what are happening with their symptoms? But their mind is whole. Their mindset is in a whole different place of like, okay, my question's not answered. Of what's my prognosis? This guy just keep on uh, looking at my squat pattern or something like that. If you guys are on the same page, you can't really help the patient because they're focused and bogged down on something else. Oh, that was a whirlwind. I hope that made sense.
0: Rob, well, that made perfect sense. And I think of it much less than a binary ultimatum, but much more of a spectrum, right, where I think the majority – there are some patients that we recall where it's like, damn, we are not on the same page at all, right? They just have that thing that's on their mind that they need to get across, that they need to express, that they need to be reassured with. And that's where – when they have that, you need to spend your intensive time focusing on that. But then most other people, right, are not in that bottom 10% or not in the top 10% of perfect clarity, perfect alignment, but they're somewhere in that middle 80, right? They're somewhere in those middle 80 patients, middle 80% from 10 to 90, where it's like, okay, where are you on that spectrum? And how much is clear, how much is unclear? And that should dictate how our communication is addressed and how based on that our treatment is addressed and what you need to understand. to on the same page and, you know, I've definitely had more kind of like sit down, like, hey, hold the brakes, hold the horses here, right? It doesn't matter like what kind of exercises we're doing at this moment if we're doing them under a false and a poor understanding, mental construct, idea of what's actually going on and the intent behind it. So I spent lot live time in the clinic just like sitting people down and talking to them for like ten minutes, um, about kind of getting people on the same page. And I had this conversation with this chick the, the other day about um, she had a car accident and everything and was at another PTU mostly passive treatment for a long time. Um, got better at first once, you know, initial acute trauma wore down, but then pretty plateaued pretty well. This is probably visit number six with me, some gnarly neck and low back thing a little bit, but she's doing way better. At first she was like super nervous about, you know, Using her using her neck and everything, right, and neck muscles and all that kind of stuff. But then she's worried about feeling pressure on her neck, right? So I'm like, and in the past I would have been like, yeah, you know, we can kind of take it easier, slowly improve all that stuff. But instead, I decided to dig deep. I said, okay, like when you feel that, what are you worried about? He said, it's it's painful. Okay, so when you feel the pain, does it bother you? Said, yeah. And like most people, it's common sense, right? Bob, is like, hey, Bob, does pain bother you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It does bother you. That's like, it's literally there. Its job is to bother you. That's the function of pain. It's there to get your attention. But I kept digging deeper. I said, okay, why? Like, why? Why is that? She's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's just, I don't, I don't like it. Said, okay. Do you think it's doing damage to you? And she goes, oh, I don't, I don't think so. But like, when you push harder, it's like it's like a lot of pain. So we kept digging, kept digging, kept digging, right? And we talked about, you know, hey, and I laid them out directly for her. There are three different options that you can choose here. And I truly let her choose. I want to lay out the cards. Hey, where do you want to go? Option one was, I was very, very clear about this. Okay. Hey, option one is, say, okay, we don't, and I showed her a couple of graphs of this and everything and some images, but we don't push into the pain, right? say, hey, yeah, let me kind of avoid the pain, let me kind of protect it, Um, eventually as we keep shying away from the pain and avoiding activity, your tolerance and threshold of activity and your strength and robustness and resilience will begin to decrease over time. This is how it leads to chronicity, right? If we completely avoid all pain, the activity level goes down because the tissues do begin to decondition a little bit over time with less activity. I said, this, but this is this is a valuable of a choice if you want to choose that pathway. And I said, here's option number two, right? You push into pain a little bit, but not too intensely, right? We kind of respect it a little bit. We say, hey, let's push into it, um, work our way through slowly. It might be a slower process for you, right? And this is somebody where I know, like, you know, a lot of her, her pain can be centrally driven, but with very mechanical um, processing of it, right? It's very mechanically based. And say, hey, we can do number two, where we've got to go slow, ease our way into it, slowly work our way out, it'll take longer, but if you'll get better, it'll be okay. Option number three is, hey, we just go to town, it can get better pretty damn quick, and it's probably going to be pretty uncomfortable while we do it. And I gave her time to think and said, hey, which option do you want to choose? So I laid out all the options said, this is it's not about me or my opinion or my ego or what treatment's best, it's Here is what will physically happen, right, if we do each of these pathways. What do you want to do with your life and your body right now?
1: Yeah, wow, that's a great way to to go at it and explain. Like, instead of telling the patient, okay, we're going to hammer it, and you're going to feel better, you're giving her the options. So it's, like, all about that therapeutic alliance of building that relationship with the the patient. Nick, I'm just curious, what what were you having her do? Uh, For exercises for that? Well, yeah, whatever she was doing, for that yep. example. Um,
0: yeah, so for that particular example, and that was going to base how the rest of the um, treatment and assessment and treatment was going to go. But I was doing a uh, a cervical PA to assess for for mobility that we had assessed for um, near the beginning of evaluation and everything. So I was saying, hey, we're going to reassess mobility. And see where things are. Oh,
1: Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's interesting that one thing that's interesting as I'm hearing you talk and, and as I'm going through uh, my own learning experiences is we're, we're definitely trained a little bit under different schools of thoughts. Uh, but I would have asked if I would have asked the pain uh, the patient in your example, like, oh, is that pain itself uh, strain or is that pain? Actual pain. Um, well, what, do you, what do you mean by what do you mean by actual pain? Like, like is it strain or pain? So, I I guess mean, that's, that's, what do you what do you mean by that, Bob? So, I, I guess if I were to have your patient, just a regular neck patient, um, and they were uh, they had loss of motion to extension and uh, rotation towards the right. Um, a bit centrally driven as well with, uh, I guess, a little bit of fear, with pain. If I were to start in, like, a simple, I guess, retraction in sitting or an extension in sitting, um, I'd have them go gentle, and then I'd ask them, okay, you're feeling something. What are you feeling? Are you feeling pain or are you feeling strain? And to me, if they get some sort of strain, that means – it's a good thing for me, but then they don't realize that. And they really, usually patients can differentiate screen and pain, but they don't know, I guess, at the end of the day, what the real difference is uh, in terms of the effect. So that's how I would, I guess, approach this patient case myself.
0: Uh, um, does that I would, make sense? It does make sense. I would caution you from, it's probably slipped out of your um, your mouth accidentally, Um but always caution you from using the word, oh, is that actual pain? Because um, cause to them, of course, it's actual pain. We're trying to, um, and that's almost reinforcing the idea that pain and damage like kind of coexist. But like, hey, if it's fake pain, right? Like, not real pain, but like fake pain, the perception of fake pain, then it like doesn't do damage. But real pain does do damage. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Pain or strain. That's what I would have asked. So is that the pain or uh, strain that you feel? But, For yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah, for, for patients who don't get that, they're like, what do, what do you mean? How do you describe that to them?
1: So uh, I just give them um, – I tell them to pull out a finger. <laughs> they pull out their index finger, and then I ask them just to pull it back all the way. I totally it back on you. Pull the finger on <laughs> me. Um, no, no, so if you just pull the finger all the way back, I don't know if you could uh, even imagine this if I'm describing this right, but if you pull, Oh yeah. If you pull the finger all the way back, you feel like a little pull on Ah. that skin. right. Um, so that's, that itself is strain. So I'm asking the patient, okay, do you feel that or is it something different than that? And that's how I would differentiate, um, which one it is. If the patient really isn't really familiar with, if it's pain or strain, um, and if it, yeah, go
0: ahead. No, I just, yeah, that's a, um, I like that where it's an analogy of something that's like, "Hey, this is a separate body area. Um, here's what we might expect to feel," and that could be something that some people might latch on to.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think the same thing for uh, for PAS in general. I, it's, sometimes it can be strain. Oh, this—it's that stretching feeling rather than oh, it's that sharp pain itself. But I—I I mean, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that, Nick?
0: Yeah, and I think in general that's true. But again, this is something that, you know, even if it is that sharp, intense pain, right, I don't want them to have the fear over that. I don't want them to have to worry about that because I know that it's, you know, it's a safe stiffness that has a lot of central sensitization and peripheral sensitization in that local area. And so, you know, you're doing a lot of differentiation between the sensation they feel. But that safe sensation might be, a, potent, a perceived potential threat that I want to help normalize and desensitize, and that doesn't—your analogy doesn't fully get at that aspect to me.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, I would also add, I guess, now that you're you're mentioning or talking more about this as well. Um, yeah. I, I also, at the beginning of my objective exam, I tell the patient, okay, we're actually going to try and produce your pain to serve as a baseline, so we can test this. Within our session. So, I, I also, I guess, frame it that way of, oh, we're actually trying to produce some some sort of symptoms. Um, and I assume that that's also what you do when, when you're doing baseline testing as well. Do you yeah, practice yeah. that before like that or no? Yes,
0: yeah, so I, I won't always say. Um, so, basically, um, as I go through baseline testing, right, it's like I'll ask, you know, first of all, I think that was a good clarification, Bob. So, nice work on that. I'll ask, you know, okay, right now in this moment, any symptoms, right? Just kind of re-body scan in this position, how you doing? I say, so I want you to pay, as we do these movements, I want you to pay close attention to these areas and that might be, you know, their pain areas that they were describing. I want you to let me know as we do these movements, if these areas change at all. And just kind of preface it like that, like, Hey, tune in, pay attention. Let's see what's up. Let's see what's going on.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Nick. When you do, I guess, different baseline testing, do you expect often change uh, on the spot, or do you expect change in a few sessions? I'm just curious. I guess, from, from my perspective.
0: All, all depends on the patient, and all depends on the pattern that I um, that I anticipate being true. And so, I'd say, you know. Yeah, I'd say, you know, there are some patients where I'm like, okay, I feel like I, I understand this pattern. I know what's likely going to happen, right? I think that this will change their symptoms for better, worse, or other. Let me test it to prove myself right or wrong or to disprove myself right or wrong. But the same thing for, you know, another variety of tests. It's like, ah, I, I think this is going to be clean. This looks pretty clean. Let me just make sure to clear it out to make sure I'm actually good and not just making unnecessary assumptions.
1: Yeah. Okay. But I'm, yeah, I'm, that's I'm, not
0: interesting. Just, I'm not just testing everything for the sake of testing everything, but if it's like, Hey, is this really like a hip problem or lumbar problem? Like I better do something to differentiate that a couple different ways to be more confident.
1: Yeah, no, That that's interesting. I, um, yeah, I, I definitely, if, when we meet in person, Nick, um, it it'd be super exciting to see how much you've grown as a clinician and see how you, um, treat patients, and at the same time, I think it'd be interesting for you, for you to critique me as well. Um, You're if we app, ever, uh, yeah ever meet, meet up again in in either New York or in the West Coast. I think I'm yeah. actually going um, to the West Coast. Uh, I'm going to Portland. I don't know if that's close. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, dude, that's uh, nowhere close at all. Um, but, dude, <laughs> yeah. No, it, the um, West. Actually, dude, I haven't even been to Oregon yet, so I've got to change that um, yeah, dude, it's nice. When are you going?
1: I don't know. Sometimes it's September. I'll right. be doing, uh, some one-on-one hours with, with another, uh, mentor as well.
0: All right. We'll, we'll um, talk more either off the podcast or as that approach is a lot closer about that for sure. Yeah.
1: How far are you from? <laughs> so, so I know it's a few states, right? That, that's, that's, uh.
0: Yeah. And rumor has it, California is a big state too.
1: No, I mean yeah, we'll we'll, we'll meet up or, or we'll talk about it uh, when that
0: gets closer. But cool. Yeah, well, are you, Bob, are you are you cool if I interrupt you real quick and uh continue on about that one cervical case real fast? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we talk about kind of giving you the options, right?
1: Yeah.
0: One, two, or three. One being like baby it and like you know I didn't say the word suffer or anything, but baby it and like know your function will go down. I uh, was very clear and transparent. Two is like hey, let's push in, ease in a little bit, right? And it'll be slow going, but it'll get better. And three's like, hey, let's go after it. And you know, with both kind of, and or manual and or exercise intensity. I, for me, and mentally, I do, I don't really differentiate manual and therax as much as maybe some people classify them differently. For me, it's all about what's the intention of the movement, what's the movement trying to do. There are a lot of movements that manual will do that intention, or exercise will do that intention but I classify things much more on their desired intention and far less on, you know, what's the modality of choice that I'm utilizing in order to do that. But anyways, that's just another tangent for myself. Which option do you think she chose?
1: I mean, for the sake of the story, number three, or number two, number
0: two. <laughs> the second Which one. one. Which second one. You are correct. Second one, right? When in doubt, multiple choice, guess in the middle. Be conservative. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yes, she she uh she didn't guess. She chose number two. I, I, I reframed it first, said, Okay, so by choosing this pathway, you're saying that hey, I feel good about wanting to kind of push into pain a little bit, but also respect it and go kind of slow and know I'll get better, but it'll take a longer time. Is that what you want? She said, Yes. I said, Okay, great, that's a good choice for we'll respect it. I'm not gonna bring this up again. I said, and if you want to change that in choice in the future, just let me know and I'm down. Said, All right. Put it completely on her. Don't let her feel guilty at all about choosing it. She made her choice, and that's awesome. And then I asked her, so what I was trying to do before is put – to do more pressure for the assessment because I need to tell, as you've been working on your mobility, is this actually getting any looser or not? And so for assessment purposes only, I wanted to push, regardless of your pain, to feel – what's going on, right? Because I know she was somebody that could physically, the physical tissues can handle that very easily. And I said, but for for treatment, I would absolutely, we're picking choice number two for what we're doing. And so I I didn't tell her, I asked her. So for treatment, we're absolutely do choice number two. For assessment, can I actually assess it, or do you want me to go kind of light and we won't have as much of an idea of what's going on? She said, "Oh no, no, you can, you can, you can assess it hard." I said, "Okay, so you mean the thing that like really pissed you off a second ago?" She's like, "Yeah, you can do that." Oh, okay, cool. I'll do that. All right, so I did it under that context where it's her choice. So if she would do it, you know, she kind of gets, you know, if she got some pain, she jumps a little, right? But nothing like, nothing like the first time for sure, um, where she kind of got irritated with it and. I said, okay, you know, we talked about it, how was that, blah, 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 and a bunch of other things that led to treatment that session, more for number two, and basically it led to her saying, wow, that was a lot better than what I remember. That wasn't as bad. And we had a whole conversation about how, hey, yeah, you've actually been getting a lot better. This allowed us to really re- reassess it. This is the value of why I care about that. And, you know, you're helping to desensitize the system, bring in some of that pain intelligence kind of stuff. That's important for her as well.
1: Yeah, wow. Um, I have, I mean, it's, it's, the podcast is getting a little bit long, uh, but, uh, but I have two questions. Uh, when you get baselines, do you, are your baselines, um, I guess, mostly PAs? Or do you also get, uh, I guess, other movement baselines? But is your, I guess, the, the main baseline PAs?
0: When you say baseline, Bob, just to clarify for everybody out there. You mean just like almost like an at sign, like comparable sign kind of thing? Yes. Uh, yeah, um, they're off the charts, anything. Um, so, no, I would not say it's predominantly PAs. I say a lot of it is, I say that's one small aspect, that I want to make sure that, hey, as they, right, it's like we test for strength, right? As they get better, right, and their symptoms improve and they're doing better, they're moving better, I want to know did my intervention at getting them stronger actually help get them stronger as well. Because then that tells me more about what I actually did to help them. Because if they, I've had people before where it's like, hey, their knee pain's doing way better, they're moving better, and their quads are still just as weak. Okay, so our intervention hit another mechanism than just strengthening. Same thing for mobility. They're doing stuff, they're feeling better, they're moving better, right? But they're still kind of damn stiff. Okay, there's some other mechanism at play, so that gives me an idea. So, no, um, the majority of my kind of accurate signs or comparable signs, if you will, are typically more active-based, something the patient can um, bring on themselves. I tend to bias that a little bit more for myself, Um, but then following up with these supplementary secondary tests, whether it is mobility or strength or these other things. Hmm, Uh, Ideally, something that's meaningful to the patient. So, I try and match my – I attempt to match when possible – and when the patient's functionality dictates me and allows me to, I attempt to match my subjective and objective asterisk signs the best I can. So something that they report that they do frequently that's tangible, salient to them, and, right, doing something along the way where it's, okay, I can test something related to, directly related to that in clinic too.
1: Hmm, interesting. Yeah, um, I guess the comment on that real quick is, Really for me, based on how I've been practicing uh, these these past few months, really, uh, I I find myself going to those PA, uh, find something if I can't find any baselines in the clinic. Um, So really no range of motion loss, really nothing, no pain during movement, really nothing, no functional baselines with squat or, or lunges or anything like that. That's where I would tend to go because they just retest after that. Um, But I guess my second follow-up question, I I think this could be our our wrap-up topic. Um, I I guess the whole theme of this episode was just really being okay to confront the patient and ask them for difficult questions and being on the same page, or, or so you're on the same page with them, and they're on the same page with you. What well, do you agree with that, Nick? I would, Bob. So I guess my follow-up question is, how, how do you deal with that uncomfortability yourself? So how do you not feel uncomfortable yeah. in that situation? Um,
0: like anything, great exposure is often the answer, right? Um, whereas, you know, the more and more I do it, the more it's perceived by my system as a normal thing that I just be used to over time by doing it. And so that, that's the superficial answer. I think the real answer is there has to be a reason why I'm digging deeper, right? There are definitely stupid questions to ask, right? Absolutely. There are, super, there are stupid, shallow, superficial questions they are like, why did you even do that? Like, what thought and intention was behind that? Or even if you had some thought or intention, like, why would you ask it that way? Um, Not from a patient standpoint, from a clinician standpoint. I think we need to be better at some of that. And... Well, let me remember where I was going before I started ranting, dude. Um, All right. Yeah. Bob, ask your question again. That'll
1: help me. <laughs> I don't even know if I can remember my question. My my question is, how do you how do you be oh, yeah, uncomfortable? Be yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. comfortable with the uncomfortable. Totally. Um, the intention, right, I have to remember why I'm asking those things, why I care about clarifying them. And what I remind myself is, right, remind myself of my why. So my why Like, why am I doing this? It's so I can gain clarity to help the patient gain clarity to truly assess what we need to do, their current state, and how we need to get there and where we need to move them to. And if I don't have that, then I make too many assumptions. And, you know, working under assumptions actually works well for the majority of patients, honestly. Like, there is so much that we can do to get away with it. A certain amount of patients will get better by just moving in general. A certain number of patients will get better by like, you know, eh, a fairly detailed care, right? It's like, oh, like there's some things we got to avoid certain irritabilities and stuff and be careful about some symptoms and they'll get better. Other patients, it's like it takes that detailed intense work and you have less of a margin for error. Those are the patients where it matters the most. But from my perspective, why would you practice poor habits for the ones it doesn't matter as much um, unless there's a very specific reason to not get better for the ones it does matter? that it does matter for. And so I remind myself of the intention that, hey, I'm doing this to best help the patient, to understand, to clarify. And, you know, I think of moments where I've had people that have said, you know, hey, well, the people I've been with long-term where they've said, you know, hey, your questions were kind of annoying at first. And this is like if I had a student with me, they were reflecting back on their experience to a student or something. Hey, okay, hey these questions were kind of annoying at first, but then over time I found myself just like, oh, like, let me think of those myself. And all of a sudden, he wasn't asking me questions anymore. I was just kind of processing it myself, taking more ownership, of understanding the situation. And so we're almost doing it to kind of train patients, not for us, but train them for themselves and what they need most.
1: Definitely. Definitely, yeah. So yeah. you're saying that to every patient? Because is that what hmm. you mean, like, like, the general premise?
0: To an, to an extent. I based on their need, yeah.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing your knowledge. I that was a, a lot of pearls there, a lot of good reminders for for anybody listening. Um, just really, again, being on the same page as the patient, and if you're not on the same page, or, or they're not on the same page with you, um, that's that's where I guess really where I guess drop-offs happen, or they just just don't do what they're doing or, or complying to take us a hit. So yeah, th- thanks for that reminder as well. Just if they're not on the same page, day one or day two, you got to get on the, get on the same page with them.
0: And I, I think that's a good point, Bob, where again, it's on the same page outside of the context of how they feel about it. Right. Where oftentimes we say, Hey, yeah, get on the same page. And oftentimes get on the same page means like, Oh yeah. Like we're conforming to the patient. And there's a certain aspect we've got to be open, inviting and like, welcoming to how they receive information and what like they're feeling about the situation. But also it's like, no, we need to train the patient into caring about what they need to care about to best help themselves. And so there's also like that's where the confrontation, that's where being uncomfortable and setting realistic
1: expectations also comes into Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nick, let's touch upon some accountability. Um, and then I'm heading to bed.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude. It's uh no, I, I appreciate, uh, the wisdom, your insight and sharing some ideas, dude.
1: Yeah. Um, accountability wise, la- last time I talked about the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, I was going to write down on my patients, classify them, see where I am, what the the next step is, just the one line. So I've been doing that at the beginning of the – day, just gone through my patient list. Okay, they're this classification. This is what the next progression is, if they're better, if they're worse, or the same. Um, and, yeah, I realize the more patients I have, I really need to, to I guess, make this list more organized. <laughs> um, <laughs> because if I, if I get it a little bit more organized, it will be so much better – uh to, to use and but but so far it's been efficient. It's it's been making me hone in, okay. Today, provisionally they're, they're this classification, they're either um one of the, the McKenzie classifications and I'm if they come back, but it's exactly the same, the worst uh worse or no effect, and are they truly that classification if they're not effect or there's no no effect in symptoms. Um so I've been really challenging myself on that and really Thinking to myself, okay, maybe I'm not not really in this classification, and I should put them somewhere else. How has
0: um, that How has that improved your clinical practice? Yeah, or how it's has it been, altered your clinical it's, practice?
1: It's been uh. <clears throat> so I guess if I were to go a little bit more specific, um, there there's a bunch of classifications in the McKenzie method system. One of the biggest ones. the the two top ones are derangement and other. So derangements are those that have a directional preference in terms of the joint, in terms of the, the back, the neck, whatever, they feel better with a certain direction of movement. Um, And then other is pretty much everything else that's, uh, that doesn't really have directional preference or it doesn't fit other than the main classifications. So it really allows me to faster, to rule out the arrangement faster than normal. So th- that's that's my answer to your question. So if I have them as the arrangement and it's visit five and six, and it's really, okay, I'm losing understanding of them. Um, they're pretty much, they're, they're making progress. Now they're not. Okay, are they still, like, is there any more that I need to push them? Do they need sustained? Or is it is this pretty much, Uh, they're in that category kind of thing. So that's what that helped me really just think about more.
0: I love it, right? Deeper reflection to, you know, make sure that you're addressing these patterns of hand as things evolve and change. You've got that in accordance.
1: Yeah. So accountability for next week. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would like to do the same. So, So one thing that I haven't been really doing well is keeping track of, Okay. What did I do exactly in terms of the amount of exercise or, or the amount of different directions that I rolled in and out um, documentation-wise? I've been getting the baseline done, but there, there's room for improvement on that. So I'll be spending more time having that dialed in uh, so, so that allows for better patient care.
0: Nice. I think that's good. I think on my end, um in about a week and a half I started my uh new mentor. So it's just kinda of getting through some material related to a lot of what she does. Um just to speak the same lingo, lingo um, get all the preparation in and yeah, just do some quality work. Are you ready for that? Yeah, that's exciting.
1: All right, Nick, I'll see you next week, Alright, Bob, be well.